You're about to listen to an episode of Legally Fonds. This episode is brought to you in association with LawSchool.ie. LawSchool.ie is Ireland's leading provider of tuition for the FE1 or King's Inns entrance exams. Each course is delivered live online with a specific exam focus and supported by the latest manuals. Shorter, pre-recorded workshops are also available and courses commence every year in June and November. Register anytime at lawschool.ie and for a 10% discount on any course, just use the discount code LEGALLYFOND. Hey all you cool cats and kittens. In this episode of Legally Fond, Pierce gets indignant again. I'm not endorsing an axe-wielding maniac. <laughs> and Alex forgets what show we're on. I was, swear to God, I was about to say Carol Baskin. Welcome to Legally Fond, episode 7, Mary vs. Machine. episode we look at the notorious case of DPP versus Mary Kelly. Now it's the first criminal case we've come across on Legally Fond so far. Pierce you might fill us in on the facts. We have this uh, unique relationship with uh, the United States whereby they refuel a Shannon uh, when they're heading off to uh, a lot of times the Middle East and they're probably not on the most friendly of missions when they're going out there certain times and a particular lady Mary Kelly decided that she didn't like this and she uh, what she saw as the um, unlawful and wrong attack on innocent Iraqi people. And so uh, being the strong-willed individual she was, she took an axe uh, as well as the law into her own hands and uh, using this axe, she decided to attack a, one of the pride planes of the uh, U.S. Air Corps uh, while it was at Shannon Airport and caused extensive damage. So she was put on trial in 2003 for two offences, for trespassing onto Shannon Airport and for causing criminal damage to the plane. So the first trial happened in 2003. In that trial, she was convicted of trespass. But the jury couldn't agree about the criminal damage charge. So there was a retrial ordered and the retrial happened in 2004. So she's trying to rely on this defense of lawful excuse. What does this allow her to do? Well, it means that if she damaged the property in question in order to protect herself or protect another person or protect another person's property, and at the time of the acts, she believed that the other person or the other person's property were in need of immediate protection and that the means of protection adopted or proposed were reasonable having regard to the circumstances. So bringing this back to her case, this was before the Iraq war. She declared that she was here to damage the plane to prevent it from going to Iraq to prevent the killing of innocent Iraqi people. Now, as it turned out subsequently, this plane wasn't even going to Iraq. It was actually on its way to Sicily at the time. Well, I was carrying stuff to support a not so nice mission in Iraq. Like you have to give it to her. There was a connection between the two. It was doing military logistics, I believe which was kind of um, background work uh, preempting the full-scale invasion of Iraq at the time. So it was certainly playing a part, but um, yeah, well, I guess it wasn't directly involved in the on-the-ground action uh, of American forces in Iraq. 
So Mary Kelly was convicted of criminal damage at this trial. She was given a fully suspended sentence, which means she was given a conviction, but she didn't have to go to prison for it. However, she appealed her conviction. Mary Kelly's problem with the conviction was that the judge hadn't allowed her to use this defense of lawful excuse. Let me just explain briefly how a criminal trial works. The jury decide the facts of the case. They decide what happened when and who did what. And the judge decides the law. For instance, in this case, if Mary Kelly was able to use this defense or not. Well, the judge in the circuit court talked a lot about uh, this requirement of immediacy in the legislation. Now, as Mary Kelly rightly pointed out, the legislation was amended. And there was no requirement for immediacy explicitly anyway in the legislation. But the definition of immediacy has to obviously contextual. Like nobody's standing there with a stopwatch. So I guess like, you know, for a drone strike uh, flying all the way over to Iraq, I think probably there is a reasonable assumption that if that plane takes off, it's going to go and kill somebody. So maybe you could just, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't advise anybody to break into a US military facility and acts a drone i can't imagine it's welcomed but yeah the issue though with the the um question of immediacy is that um the 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 wording that the judge initially relied on at the beginning and for a considerable amount of the trial uh was that there that 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 the thing that you were needing to protect had to be in uh, immediate need of that protection however um in a subsequent amendment to the criminal damages act this wording was actually removed and it appeared that the judge wasn't aware of this, uh, except for the the non-legally educated person uh, involved in the trial, being Mary Kelly, who had opted to defend herself partially by herself. She knew it had been amended. So it was on those grounds that they, the Court of Criminal Appeal quashed the conviction. I still, It is very funny how Mary Kelly, who, as you said, hasn't studied law in a room full of people supposedly knowing it was the one who was proved right by the court of appeal and she represented herself as well yeah would you do that like if you fancy would you fancy yourself at this stage in legal studies so you know let's face it if you'd done a bit of research for about four or five hours you'd probably know as much as we do into the law so if you've listened to all the episodes thus far listen to all the legally fond episodes so basically, you're almost an expert. Would you represent yourself? Not Ted, in a million Ted years. Bundy famously <laughs> represented himself um, in the Florida court. I, I think he was good at public speaking and he was good at putting on a show and he had a limited grasp of the law. But I think also just from a, a kind of, if you, if you remove even the aspect of knowing things about the law, you're so emotionally involved in a trial or that that is to some extent, going to cloud your judgment uh, in, you know, obsessing or assessing these facts from an objective point of view. So the advice I think that is always given is is to never represent yourself. But funny enough, in a sense, that's obviously going to be the uh, the, the legal profession's from... view. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, no, you shouldn't represent yourself. You should pay us to represent sure. you. <laughs> you know, the advice if you get arrested from our constitution lectures. If you get arrested, call a lawyer and then say nothing. Would you say that you get treated with a bit more sympathy if you are representing yourself? The court says, oh, look at this. Ah, bless. Look at this wannabe lawyer here. Well, Justice Hardiman did say that 
he didn't did make reference in his judgment to the fact that something wasn't explained clearly to Miss Kelly. And it is your like it is your right to defend yourself if you want to. And the state should like so the judge does have to facilitate that. Evan is an avid supporter and backer of Carol Baskin over George Slavic <laughs> in the Tiger King debacle. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, an active backer of her. It's just if the pendulum has to swing towards one side in that program, I sympathize with her more than I do with uh, Joe or Jeff or any of the other crazies. Typical. That really doesn't surprise And I don't think it'll surprise him. <laughs> what do you think of this now, right? So if, say, Carol Baskin or Joe Exotic had their big park beside Shannon Airport, okay, we'll keep the geography the same. Let's say Mary Kelly was an avid animal rights activist and did some criminal damage that they couldn't have any more tigers there or something. They couldn't have an extra tiger. Would that be justified? Like, I know it's not a person, but animals do have rights. Yeah, I I think the difference there, though, is um, the arrangement, uh, the bilateral agreement between two sovereign nations, that is the Shannon flyover arrangement or whatever you want to call it, is between the Irish government and the United States government, and it is perfectly legal. However, animal cruelty or the abuse of animals is inherently illegal. So I guess, yes, if you're causing criminal damage to break in to a property and you know take these tigers away from somebody who's mistreating them, then yeah, you can argue that that's a lawful excuse. But that's because the act that is being committed is illegal in the first place, right? I hope somebody from PETA doesn't listen to this and get any notions. Oh God. Or Carol they've, Baskin. They've got notions. Because you can see, uh, Carol Baskin is a murderer. <laughs> and anyone who thinks that she didn't kill her husband and feed him to the tiger, <laughs> blinded by her propaganda. <laughs> I, was, I swear to God, I was about to say Carol Baskin. Mary Kelly didn't get off because of, you know, some kind of affirmation by the Irish courts of her righteous cause. She got off because of the mishandling of the initial, well, not the initial, the Ennis Circuit Court judge, who, when you read the judgment, doesn't seem to have handled handled the matter that well, focusing on a piece of legislation that was amended by a later piece of legislation. And as we've already said, Mary Kelly, the only non-lawyer in the room, was the only one who actually spotted it. And she was ignored. Did she discover it at the time? Or did, did she realise it subsequently after the trial? No, no. She brought it up later in the trial. And then the judge and opposing counsel... There is some confusion about it. This is referenced by Justice Hardiman in his, in his judgment in the Court of Appeal. The judge focused on this idea of immediacy and this like connection in time and space from what you were trying to prevent. But... That piece of legislation was repealed by a later piece of legislation that hadn't been brought up by either her opposing counsel or judge. Yeah, like you say, Alex, I suppose she um, gets what would be seen as a technicality, I guess. Um, And the judge repeatedly in the trial case um, made the point, and he seems kind of exacerbated uh, by her continuous attempts to cite the defense of the Iraqi people as a lawful excuse, because in the transcript, he says, I can't make this any clearer to you. You can't use this as a defense. It's not a lawful excuse. <laughs> so he doesn't seem too impressed with um, 
her efforts in defending herself. But um, you know, in the end, look, that's how the justice system works. It, it, you know, she 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 wasn't convicted, or or rather, was overturned by by the appeal court. I think it's a victory for the individual against state here. She defended herself, which she's perfectly entitled to do, and the appeal court said that she was right. She didn't get a fair treatment. She wasn't, you know, the legislation wasn't cited properly, and. Hardiman even went on to say that, you know, the things that should have been explained weren't explained in a clear and concise manner to Mrs. Kelly. I think I agree with you very much there. I mean, like, um, like you say, the, perhaps the most shocking thing out of the whole, the whole trial is that the solicitors, the judge himself, none of them picked up on the fact that that legislation had been amended at a later date other than Mary Kelly herself with no legal background, no legal training, probably literally Googled the name of the Criminal Damages Act. IrishStatutebook.ie, there's a shout out. Well, there's the famous saying that uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse, except if you're a judge, and that certainly rings true in this case. Just coming back to this immediacy requirement, which existed in the old law, which is no longer the case, It meant that there had to be a connection in time between the criminal damage done by the person and the harm to property or to another person that they were trying to protect against. Do you think this makes sense, Alex? It does, but as we said, and this kind of idea of time and space, um, like, is is there, there's no time limit specified. And I guess if you were talking about, you know, just for example, a drone going to strike some poor village could you say that it's sufficiently proximate is this is there close close enough connection between the chain of causation of that plane sitting there undisturbed and somewhere getting bombed uh, maybe there's definitely an argument for it although the court appeals doesn't really talk about whether she had lawful excuses more just says that she was treated unfairly and the trial wasn't uh, run particularly well Again, that's because the Court of Appeal was just looking at the law and it's for a jury to decide a factual question like that. Pierce, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think it would open a bit of a can of worms for the uh, or Pandora's box, maybe, for the, uh, the courts in Ireland. If I mean, because if you kind of think of um, chaos theory, you know, and that if a butterfly flaps its wings here, you know, somewhere down the line with the domino effect, somebody's going to die, do you know? Um, and that's, I guess, causation, and that is completely different. How far does this stretch to? How, how far are... Well, it's like the, the, wrong, the wrong bat ended up with the wrong pangolin, and now... Look where we are. I'm interested to see what you guys think about this defense of lawful excuse, the idea that you could damage somebody else's property in order to protect yourself or your own property. Do we think it is justified? Well, self-defense is a pretty well-established principle. I think if you talk to most rational people, they'll say that, um, like, murder at times can occur because, you know, because of self-defense. Because, you know, you have the right to defend yourself, particularly in your own, in your own home. So there are obviously instances where morally and legally you can be excused from committing a crime and 
I guess the question that was addressed in the two circuit court hearings in Kilrush and Ennis wasn't really addressed in the Court of Appeal, like the elephant in the room, really, of whether she was actually justified in doing so. But for the defense of self-defense, which you mentioned, and for another very common defense to murder, which is provocation, there are these immediacy requirements. There are these time requirements. For instance, with provocation, the idea is you're saying, I was provoked to murder somebody, that my actions should be somewhat justified because somebody provoked me and I lashed out, not necessarily intending to kill them, but killing them. But the crucial thing is that the person who provoked you provoked you just before you lashed out at them in response. You can't have a situation where we get in an argument and then a month down the line, I decide to retaliate. And I say, oh, he, he provoked me a month ago. Because, you know, that gives you the time to be calculated and think things through. Do you think, therefore, that this immediacy requirement is important in this defense? Whether or not it actually exists in the updated law? Yes, but I don't. I think, though, that there is a... With the sense of immediacy, there is a... If you have a chain of causation and you break a specific link, as long as it's not, like, you know, ridiculously far away, there is an element of common sense. But, like, if a plane takes off going to bomb somewhere and you stop the plane taking off, then that place isn't going to get bombed. Like, it's a very... There's almost a... Like, it's far enough up the decision tree to be almost binary. As much as I think, like, this is a very unique case. Like, this is a woman breaking into Shannon Airport taking on the US military. Not, you know, the average thing you see in Kill Rush Circuit Court, I can imagine. Pierce, what are your thoughts on Mary's defence overall? Neutrality doesn't really have much legal standing in Ireland other than that it is a part of government policy. And another part of government policy obviously is to have this arrangement or this relationship with the United States whereby their air force can land planes in Shannon to refuel. If you take another example of government policy, and let's say it's something to do with um, social welfare payments or something, and you, you know, break into the um, social welfare and steal a copy of legislation or something like that that was due to be signed in the door because you personally and politically disagreed with potentially new social welfare regimes that were going to be signed in by, uh, by the responsible minister, then obviously that is completely facetious. This is also just an element of government policy, which this individual personally and politically disagrees with and is trying to use lawful excuse as a get-out-of-jail-free card for committing criminal damage. So I don't think it holds any water. I think it's just because of the uniquely sensitive nature of this particular um, defence that she's using, which is obviously the Iraq War, which is, you know, something quite serious and heavy, and which is hard to kind of, you know, have a write-off response to, that she's kind of getting away with it. But I think if you took any other aspect of government policy and did something, like I said, that is criminal in nature... And then said, well, I just don't agree with it or think it. Then there'd be no way you'd get away with it. Well, she hasn't gotten away with it because of the reason that she did it. She got away with it because the trial was mishandled. Her whole argument is inherently flawed because of her. her, It's clouded by her her political uh, opinions, I think. I kind of agree with Pierce. I think it does give a massive latitude to the individual to say... um, 
I believed at the time that my property was in danger. I was in danger myself, so I had to damage somebody else's property. And somebody might base their decision to damage the property, as we've seen in this case, on political reasons, on moral reasons, on social reasons, which they themselves can define and might be completely legitimate to them, but might not be legitimate to the rest of society or to the person whose property they're damaging. Yeah, but you have to remember, like, this is for... You know, I'd say when somebody's drafting this up, they're like, oh, grand self-defense uh, or defense of your property or, I don't know, your partner at home. They probably assume that there's going to be, like when they're drafting this up, that there is go- it was going to be self-defense. And if you start trying to make that an objective test, it does put a very big onus on whoever is trying to defend themselves or others. So... I guess, in a sense, that's why the legislation is as it is. And it's quite, you know, it gives a lot of latitude to whoever. Like, it's not just criminal damage. It's also, you know, protecting your own property, potentially, or somebody like your neighbor's property. So I guess there's a, you know, in the moment, you know, as you said, vigilantism. um, That's kind of, well, certainly morally acceptable for most people, as we've seen in a lot of cases, legally acceptable. It's like Storm Area 51. Do you remember that? Yeah, that didn't um, quite work, did it? No. Well, no... I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to compare, you know, to the level of defense yeah. that Area 51 you, probably and had. you're probably not doing justice <laughs> to uh, Mary Kelly's cause as well. True. I find the cause sympathetic, especially in the context of Irish neutrality. Well, that brings us on to Irish neutrality, which is not, and this is a common misconception, in our constitution. It's more just a a general political policy that we've adopted over the years. What are your stances on it? It depends. I think, like, some, like, notion of absolute neutrality is also akin to just turning a blind eye to something horrific as well. Like, I think there is a, there has to be a kind of, well, no, we think this is bad. Or whether we take military action on it or something like that is a different story, but... But have you got the UN Um, to do that? You know, we have, we're not on the Security Council of the UN, but we certainly have a say and we can vote for resolutions that would condemn wars or condemn invasions and stuff like that. The UN stance on neutrality hasn't really worked that well in the past, though. Pierce, a lot of people would criticise Irish neutrality during the Second World War as being somewhat illusory. What do you think? We either A, played to both sides, or B, were neutral on the side of the British. We gave weather reports to the British. We returned uh, crash-landed British pilots to the border at Northern Ireland, whereas we interned German pilots. We allowed a flying boat base to operate out of Donegal. We allowed the British to use Irish airspace. Uh, I mean, these are not the actions of a neutral nation. And uh, I think, you know, even the, the notion of peacekeeping missions uh, is very questionable and uh, it's um, you know yeah certainly we're not in NATO and we don't have any form uh, role in military organizations or alliances within Europe or or the broader world but I think we've really stretched uh, pretty much as far as any nation can the definition of neutrality. That's a fair point I think. We are very clearly a western country and our alliances are very clearly with the European Union and the United States and Canada. Like well, we, famously, we, we snubbed the non-aligned group um, during the Cold War, which was predominantly South American and African nations, which said, look, we're not communists, uh, but we're not throwing ourselves in with 
Western capitalist nations as well. And as a neutral country, really, Ireland should have been uh, more involved with uh, with these nations and with these groupings, but but we refuse to do so. So I think we've really played a game of brinkmanship, as Irish people often do, uh, I think, and we've reaped the benefits from being neutral, neutral while it's at the same time staying quite close to big military powers like the US, like Britain. What must have been going through that pilot's head when he saw Mary Kelly running at his plane with an axe? Like, I'd say military training has prepared you for a lot, but you think it prepared you for that? It doesn't prepare you for Mary Kelly, that's for sure. <laughs> Mother of four, nurse from Galway, Mary Kelly. To hell out of Connacht. And this is what comes... Could you imagine this coming out of the, the mist of, you know, Shannon Air Force? <laughs> And axe just getting hatches in hand. It's like a scene out of um, Apocalypse Now or something out of Heart of Darkness, you know. Nightmarish, I can only imagine for, for the I'd pilot. Say the, I'd say the like American news report of it probably would have had embellished a few details. And They say yeah, the, the pilot is still suffering PTSD and shell shock from us. <laughs> Where, where'd you go on tour? Oh, I was on tour in uh, Shannon Airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Kilrush. <laughs> in Kilrush. You don't know, man. You weren't there. I think they're going to turn the whole fiasco into a Call of Duty level. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll be that terminal map that they have. You can take. Yeah, get an airport. Yeah, <laughs> You have unlocked Mary Kelly mode. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for episode 7 of Legally Fond. If you want us to cover any particular topics or cases or just want to ask us questions, DM us on Instagram. Legally Fond 1 is the username. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 